It's so awesome. Now I'm double micing. Can we mute this one? Unmute that one. It's, it's going to work in a minute. I'm just going to start yelling, and you guys are going to love it. Matthew 16 is where I'm at. And I, I, this is such powerful verses because I think it so reflects our heart. And it so reflects, for me, if, you've, if you're kind of a guest in here, um, I'm not throwing stones of condemnation your way in this moment or for us to have guilt. I'm just wondering, um, this, this is a great statement. When God reveals his invitation to us and says, you just were singing that song and I love your heart. I love that you hit the high pitch on that mark. It was, sounded so good on the front row. Um, I love that you really were praying to me. Now, here, when I reveal myself to you, I'm now going to ask you to make pretty major adjustments. I'm probably going to ask you and Susan to do some things differently because everything that you have is for my kingdom cause. Not part. It's everything that you have. And I really want you to be about that. And I, I, there's another sentence that just moves me. And so when, when, I, when I hear from you, Lord, I cannot hear you speak and stay where I am. I am going to be called. And here is the crisis of belief for most of us as believers in Jesus. And a point of breaking. It's one thing to say, God, you're inviting me to something and I don't believe I can pull it off. And here's the next step in the experiencing God model when we long for the presence of God. It's this, God, when I meet with you, it requires not just that I believe what I see is to be impossible, but that I actually begin to step with my life into this and to make major and minor and significant adjustments to be about who you are. Everything that I have is for your kingdom cause, Lord. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, we run into an encounter not unlike Job, if you've been in small group Bible study this morning, Job really teaches us so much, and I won't re-preach Job. We've been in there for the last hour, but Peter is with Jesus in the 16th chapter, and I don't want to read some verses about the call of God for our willingness to adjust without understanding Peter's heart. Jesus sitting in prior verses to 24 through 26 is beginning to say to them, look, for us to experience the kingdom of heaven, for you to experience the fullness of what my God has for you, then it is going to require of me, Jesus saying, of himself to spread out my arms, to have my arms and my feet and my side pierced. My blood will flow for your transgressions and I will be crucified upon a cross. I will be dead and buried and I will be resurrected. And Peter, like all of us would do in moments of major adjustment, looks at Jesus and says, um, look, I, 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 he got, I love that he even got off to him in private and said, this is really not something that I want to see you to do. And I, um, I think this probably is a running theme of Jesus in, when he talks to me, because he looks and says, I like, the, I like your heart, Mark, but get behind me, Satan. You're totally missing this right now. And it's never a good moment when Jesus calls you Satan. He says, look, I, Peter, I know that what you're trying to say to me is that um, you want to spare me from the pain that I'm going to walk through. But I think when our heart is broken, Peter, for the things that move in God's heart, it's going to put us in the midst of suffering often. And it's going to compel us to willingly and gladly sacrifice our lives for the sake of others. And it's going to invite you, Peter. And in fact, Jesus goes on uh, in the book of John to say to Peter, it's going to invite you to the very same journey that I am going to go on. And it's not going to invite you to look to the right or the left about what the adjustments that others are going to have to make. It's going to invite you to ultimately spread out your arms and die for my sake. And so Peter, 
I don't say these verses lightly, and I don't call you Satan and, and just kind of being funny, like we might do our friend. I'm looking at you and saying these words. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew the 16th chapter, verses 24 through 26, um, if anyone would come after me, he's going to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, he's going to find it. He's going to find his purpose and his passion. And more importantly, it's not your purpose or passion that you're going to find. You're going to find the heartbeat of our God. What good will it do if we pursue the whole world and don't discover in the Mark Siegel version of this the true heartbeat of God as we walk this earth? What good will it do for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul and what can a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, he's looking at Peter and saying, Peter, fully understand this. I know that you want to avoid adjustments. I know that you want to avoid pain. But I just want to invite you into the heartbreak of my father. And I want to invite you into the reality of his presence. And I think I, I would suggest to you, um, we have been in a series, for those of you that are guests, that this is week six of a week seven of an eight-week series. It's supposed to be week six or seven, but you know how it goes with me. And so um, we're just kind of parking and saying, Lord, what does it look like? And then the off-ramp is typically at this moment in the life of most believers, if not prior. God, I don't believe this can happen. That's a crisis moment for us. But really, where most churches, most people, most followers of Christ, off-ramp is this, God, you're going to invite me to major adjustments. Henry Blackaby just sits down in his study, which we would invite you to this, this coming Wednesday night, experiencing God, and just says, this is a crucible moment for almost every person. To begin to say, look, Lord, I, I don't like this idea of adjustment. There was a sentence that I just scripted out in my heart this week. I really believe that we like this concept of eternal life. And I think we really like this song that the choir was leading us in about the reality and joy of heaven. I just think we really like that on our terms. And to just illustrate that, I have just two ideas or concepts of the call of God to invite us into this idea of major adjustments. There was, in, in, well, in several points in the Gospels, but in Luke, the 18th chapter, there was a guy that came to Jesus. He's well known as the rich young ruler, if you've ever heard this story. He's a guy that came to Jesus, and he was truly desirous of being reconciled to God. And he came to Jesus saying, I, I have seen you. I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you're more than a prophet. I believe that I want to have eternal life. And so Jesus began to ask and talk with him about questions and thoughts. And he really went to the piercing moment of his life. And he said, look, this is, this is the gospel that Christ died for you, was buried and resurrected on the third day, that you desperately, Jesus didn't say all this, but this is what I would say, that you desperately need him, his blood to overcome your sin, that you need to walk in the fullness of who he is, that you must commit your life to all of who he is, confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that he is, that he is, that he is raised from the grave, and that, that that will draw you into saving relationship if you'll just kind of say that prayer. And oh, by the way, on top of that, you must sell everything that you have and give it away. So I don't know that Jesus hit our terms in the way that we typically present the gospel, which is, you know what, you've, you've said, and you're, I think he typically pierced those things in our heart that were strongholds for what has, um, 
has given us to this world. And for this young man, it wasn't that his wealth was the problem. It was this wealth was his God. And he looked at him and he said, this is what I need you to do if you're going to follow me. You're going to deny yourself and you're going to take up your cross and you're going to chase after me. And oh, by the way, in doing so, you're going to sell it all. And in that moment, there's such a powerful, powerful statement about this young man. And I want to say this once and say it again in a few minutes. And he, this is, this is the description. In that moment, his heart was sad. And he carried on and he walked away sad because here's what's reality for him. He likes the idea of Jesus and he loves the idea of heaven. And he even, he's even fond of the idea of salvation. He just likes it on his terms. What about you? See, Jesus doesn't invite us, if you'll read Matthew 16, after Peter's kind of going, on my terms, Jesus, I don't want you to suffer. I love you. He's going, that's good, but if you're going to follow after me, you're going to deny yourself, you're going to take up your cross, and you're going to follow me, and you are going to lay down your life. How about that call, the rich young ruler, who ultimately um, not only walked away sad, but if something didn't turn in his story, spent eternity sad. Elisha has this amazing call. I, I love his call. It's, um, his story is found in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 13. If you want to understand what it means to make major adjustments and be called to God and how you respond to that call, the living God stepped into Elisha's life. I believe it was 1 Kings chapter 19. And he invited him in through Elijah. And he just began to speak with him. And I love in two verses the response of Elisha to the reality of the call of God. It says, Elisha heard God's call. He went back, and you're talking about, we, since we're on fire this morning, Ryan, and we're singing about fire, and that our God is a consuming fire. Elisha went back and took all of the things that he used to farm with. He burned them, and he burned them for the purposes of this, to take all of the cattle that he had accrued. And he, 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 he um, I've always said he crucified the cattle. That would be really weird. And he crucified the cattle. And so, and he, and he um, butchered the cattle, and he called all the people around the city in and said, we're going to eat and feast for a while, because my God is calling me, and I am killing my cattle, I am feeding those around me, the fire that has carried this farm, these are all the tools that I've had, I am burning that, because here is what God is calling me to do. And then for the rest of his days, as you read about him, he experienced so many extraordinary things for the sake of the living God. I mean, I just would like this to start with, since Dr. Dan is one of my mentors. I want to be standing there when the chariot of fire carries him to heaven, which I fully expect for Dr. Dan Davis. I, just, I want to be in on that. I just want to stand there and watch. He's a mentor. He's loved God all his life, and he is just carrying away with the chariot going, Hallelujah! Except his voice is ten octaves lower than mine. Hallelujah! I mean, how powerful is that? That was Elisha's experience along with revolutionary moments with God and profound moments where Acts heads flow. I mean, you just, I could just go on and on for about 11 chapters of just the stories of what it meant as he began his journey saying, I want you, Lord, and here's how I want to experience you on your terms for your glory. Everything that I have is for your kingdom cause. It's a very different experience than I would describe most of our, um, most of our response in our journey with Jesus. I don't, I don't know where you land. I, I don't, I, I don't, I know, 
I know that I wrestle with this in my own heart. Who am I more like, the rich young ruler or Elisha? And maybe a better question is, Lord, who's more like you? And, and I, I want, I mean, I, I think that perhaps a byproduct of a message like this today should and could and maybe will be a series of bonfires in our hearts this afternoon. And for the next days, as we begin to say, God, break my heart. I really, I'm, I'm not singing this anymore. I'm really asking this of you. Break my heart for what has broken yours. And oh Lord, let your kingdom come for all that you have. I believe that the rich young ruler positioned himself to be about any and everything that God desired of him. But he just said, I'm going to posture myself here, and Lord, I want to watch as you take off. I said this earlier. I'll say it again. If you're taking notes, I would write this down. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. That's what Henry Blackaby says. You're, you're not capable of staying where you are when God is coming and saying, I'm inviting you into a story. Susan and I read a book this summer. She read it this summer. I've read it this fall. Is it fall yet? Is there a fall? I think in fall in Florida, it's like fell. It's like one or two days and it's done. You know, it just, it fell. It's coming sometime between October and February. It'll last for a day or two and then it's spring. And so, um, what did that have? What did that, I don't even remember where. Oh, I read the book in the fall, which is in August here in Florida. And I, I, Tony Marita said this powerful sentence about this idea of you cannot stay where you are and go with God. In order to see things that happen that have never happened before, Christians must do what Christians have always done. We need to experience what God deems as ordinary. Just the common among, among the believers. And we began to say, God, I, I begin, can I get a beginning point on what it means to take up my cross deny myself, to follow you, to gain life in you, to never forfeit my soul in this earth. And I think that the Lord just came and said, here's some things that will be extraordinarily common for you. I mean, common things that would go on would be that, that many of you would be in this circle just saying, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And I mean, I would literally look up on stage and watch someone lead us in worship who um, this past week has been in the hearts, uh, in, the, in the boroughs of New York City, kind of looking at those places and saying, I'm following Jesus, and it's breaking my heart what's going on in that city, and I'm wondering how we plant and reach the unreached people groups of that city, and that is what we worship with on, on this stage this morning. Just Penny, spending the last week walking and prayer walking New York saying, what does this look like? I think that would be the norm. As you looked around you, you wouldn't be looking at faces going, I'm so happy we worship together. Praise the Lord we sang that song together. And you're dressed. You would be looking around and you would be saying, I know because I've heard you. I'm better than that. I have watched your steps. And this is the story that God is writing in your heart. And we would literally right now in this moment check out on the pastor and start looking around the room going, I love that story. I love what God's doing. I love what's happening. Because we would be a people universally as a body of believers if this were the ordinary among us, broken for the things that break God's heart. And the creativity among us to be able to step into those places of hurt and harm would be absolutely phenomenal.
Follow me, Jesus would say, and we would be following him with everything he's had. God, we are making disciples. There would be many of us sitting in this room saying, we are intentionally and strategically building the truths of God's word as in as many people as plausible, as often as plausible, for the sake of Jesus in this city. And oh, by the way, it may carry me to the nations. We would be baptizing people. It would be happening, and those stories would be going on. There would be growth in the word as we're just established in truth. There would be, there would be literally people people saying, I, I mean, I, this is going to happen because there's already seven or eight of you guys. But more of you would be sitting in a room going, Guatemalans? Need to hear Jesus? I don't know how Ryan said it, but I think he might have said Katsukatsulatengo, and they need to hear Jesus there. And they're, they're planting churches among the Quiche, and I might get in on that. And you're just immediately going, how do I get in on that? And there will be, in 11 weeks, a whole group of people who are walking back saying, you will not believe what God is doing. That's just going to be normal. It's just because this is ordinary Christians doing what ordinary Christians do on a daily basis. Please don't view living out, discipling, gospel-centered passion conversations, loving your neighbor enough to share the gospel, caring about the reality of the Kiche people. Don't mistake the extraordinary. Maybe let me say. Let me say. Don't mistake the ordinary among us as something extraordinary. This is what God is up to all the time. He's just inviting us in and saying, "This is. I'm doing this. I'm making adjustments." I mentioned um, Elizabeth Elliot last two weeks ago. Um, Elizabeth Elliot was just significant in our dating life. And significant, and she has, um, in, in just a book she wrote because, called Passion for Purity, it would be phenomenal, Joel, for every one of our students as they begin to date to read this book and to begin thinking about their dating life and what it looks like to be utterly impassioned for the things of God. And, and the reason she has credibility is because of the rest of her story. And most of you have heard this story, and if not, um, just her husband's name was Jim. And, and Jim Elliott, when he finished seminary, most of his friends and mentors just begin to talk with him and say, Jim, we see you as completely and utterly gifted by God and used by God, and we're seeing you planting this or doing this or working with students. And I love Jim's response. It's not the response of every pastor, because otherwise I wouldn't be standing here, but it is a response of Jim. He said, I believe that I see that the Western church is well-fed, and God has called me to go outside of the boundaries of the Western church. And so that carried him over into a people groups that were unreached, and his creativity and ingenuity were absolutely fabulous. He and three other missionaries um, began to just um, try to touch a people group that were uh, known for several things, um, being extraordinarily aggressive toward outsiders, um, feasting on outsiders should they run into you, uh, which is kind of grotesque but true in reality of where he was. And they began to say, these guys have never heard the gospel, so how do we in a creative manner share the gospel with them? And so they, they were. They, they flew planes and they went over. And they, they strapped, and according to the stories and journals, they strapped speakers to the planes and just circled and hovered and would share the story as best as they could in the dialects that they could. They would play music and songs for them. They would just kind of hover over them, and then they would take supplies because it's always good to preach. It's also good to give them a cup of cold water. And so they would drop supplies in from the airplane and just share their story. And then they began to have a dialogue on the beach at one point and they had a gathering and meeting of the minds, and the leadership came. And then at one of the points, they began to think they had inroads, and some warriors met them on the beach as they came, and Jim Elliott and his partners and missionary in the gospel were murdered on that beach. 
And they lost their lives there. And then they began to read his journal. And his journal has one of my favorite sentences in all of, in all of um, my time of reading. It says this, Jim Elliott's quote is, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I think Jim would look at us and say, this is foolish to some of you, but it is only foolish if you do not believe that there is a heaven and a hell. But for us, it would be foolishness to do anything otherwise. I am no fool to give up what I cannot keep for that which I will never lose. Redefine this way. I will never lose my passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are a people group that have never heard this grace message. I will move heaven and earth to get this message to them. I will, if needed, not desired. I married Elizabeth, if you read her book. I waited a long time to marry Elizabeth. I would like to spend my life with her. Don't write me up as a martyr. I am just foolish for the sake of the gospel. This isn't foolish, however. It's just common sense among us. It would be common in here if we practice Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, follow me, for whoever wants to save his life, he's going to lose it. Whoever loses his life for my name's sake, he has gained an eternal reward for the sake of the gospel. Tony Marita said, in order to see things happen that have never happened, Christians must do what we have always done. And what we are about, what we experience, this is just what God calls as ordinary. It would be common sense, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be common sense? Let me just kind of do some practical things that you will find rooted and established in Scripture. It would be common sense among us for forgiveness to be a prevailing thing in this body of believers. It's not even a big stretch. It'd just be common. Like I, was, I am greatly forgiven by you, Jesus. Therefore, in response, the body of believers and a commonality of faith are just overwhelming in our forgiveness for one another. It would, be, it would be beautiful because the body of believers would be extraordinarily generous. We would be looking at Ryan and saying, we want to understand financial peace because we know any other way is to be in bondage. If we are indebted, we're indebted and enslaved to the bondage of debt. And we want to be free. Why? Because there is no more beauty among the body of believers than a generous body of believers who are saying, hey, how do we step? And this isn't, um, okay, now come and, and the, 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 the tagline behind this guest is, okay, now come and give a lot to this church and you'll get ten times. That's, no, no. You will be generous and perhaps lose your life for the sake of the gospel. You will be generous because there are, there are literally kids today every 30 seconds, according to statistics, that tell me that there is a child every 30 seconds while we've worshipped who have died of malnutrition and we are not going to sit in this church and not do something about that. There are children being trafficked and we're going to not sit through worship saying, Lord, break our hearts for what break yours while we sing with a lot of instruments in our cushion pews. Oh God, we will sell our cushion pews if we need to for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very few amens went on that one. 
God, there are those who are in prison, in prison by their own choices, in prison physically. And Father, it is normal for us. It is common here that we will move to great lengths toward those who are in prison. Oh, Father. And I'm not just talking about bars. I'm talking about the prison of addiction, the prison of bars, the prison of self-centeredness, the prison of anything that breaks the heart of God. We would believe God, advance the call, the call, speak life. We would bless people. We would cook a meal. We would cook an extra meal. We would, as I've already said, apparently the Lord wants us to hear this, we would ask for forgiveness. We would give forgiveness. We would sell our stuff. We would share the gospel. We would, we would disciple others. We would never walk away sad. We would be a room full of people whose hearts are so glad before God, and we would live with ordinary common sense of Jesus Christ among us. So just two thoughts. Two thoughts. First, a life of following Jesus can be agonizingly challenging and painful. Do not be neglected. Do not be surprised. It is hard because denying ourselves is hard. Any death is hard. Some of them much more than others. Our lives are our most precious earthly possession. And this message is stepping in to the very heart of our lives and saying, do something different. Nothing displays the worth of Jesus more than our willingness to give away our lives in small and large ways for the sake of Christ. Let me say that again. This is important. Nothing displays the greatness of Jesus more than our willingness to make major adjustments and give away our lives in both small and significant ways for the sake of the gospel. God, we are coming to you willingly and gladly making adjustments for your glory. Second, and I close, the only thing that Jesus asks of us Let me read that again. The only thing that Jesus asks us to deny ourselves of, or what will, this is so good. The only thing that Jesus asks us to deny ourselves of is the, are those things that will rob us of eternal joy. And he's coming to say there's a greater reward. There's something so much greater, and that is not common in this world. And that means what we will do will be common in the economy of Jesus, but not common. In fact, the scripture says we're going to be peculiar. That'd be a nice thing. We're going to be weird at times. We're going to do weird things at times. We're going to do incomprehensible things at times because the gospel is the core of who we are. This is where Moses, and, and, and if you want to jot down a scripture to memorize, I would memorize this in Hebrews eleven twenty five and 26. We are called to deny ourselves the passing or fleeting pleasures of sin so that we could consider the joy of Christ greater than any wealth that this world has to offer us. So first, he's coming and saying, nothing displays the worth of God more than in small and or in significant ways of our willingness to lay down our lives for Jesus. And nothing is more to us or more eternally joyful than discovering that the only thing that we ultimately lay down is us, but everything that we pick up is eternal and kingdom and Christ and it, that him, he is the one that fills us with consuming joy.
unspeakable, unimaginable. That's the passion of our heart. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep for that which he'll never lose. You want to hear something just even more crazy? Essentially, the, the entirety or a large proportion of the tribe that Jim Elliott um, gave his life for became followers of Jesus. Do you know who led them? His wives, the wives of the missionaries. They just went back in because of the foolish, uncommon grace of Christ. He said, our husbands were not foolish, and neither were we. We carry the gospel at the core of who we are. And he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. For that's what he will never lose. May the uncommon gospel of Christ invite us to extraordinary beauty and wonder. And may we adjust our lives, not on our terms, but on his terms, and watch the kingdom of Jesus prevail. And that's awesome. And that's probably going to invite not solely some amens, but there are going to need to be some backyard burning of tools today. Amen? Let's pray. Um, you know, I don't know what to pray, Jesus, except uh, Ephesians 1.18, which we've already been singing this morning. Open the eyes of our heart so that we might see you so that we might be fully amazed by you. God, there's a point in Scripture where you um, talk to your people and you say, astound us once again, so that we might move forward one more step for your glory. God, that context was a painful context. And Lord, I pray for pain. I pray for your sovereign hand. I pray for goodness. I pray for joy. I pray that you will astound us once again so that we might amplify your name in this world. The reality is, Lord, that many of us have things that hinder our capacity to follow you. I pray that you will be who you are to us, a consuming fire, a jealous God, one who invites us in to more than we can imagine. God, I pray with frightful hands we will lift them to you. We will bend our knee to you. And we will give you who you are and what you deserve. I'll worship. I'll praise. I'll honor. All dominion.